believe that this is going to happen. Isaiah walked into the king one day and said, I got a prognosis from the Lord for you. Get your business in order. (laughs) So when God gives us a prognosis, it is going to be true all the time. And so here, here by the prognosis or the foreknowledge of God, we are ordained for his purpose. God knew and ordained us for his purpose. Now this puts all of our difficulties into a different perspective. Because you thought you were just suffering because you had bad luck. Come on here. I know it. I know some of us have said things like, oh, I just, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. And I hear believers going around talking about, I got bad luck. We go around wishing people good luck. <laughs> huh? <laughs> we don't want you to have bad luck. We want you to have good luck. And, and, and yet you thought all of your suffering was because of that. Your suffering has a purpose. It's different. It puts it into a different perspective. We are chosen for our trials and sufferings to complete the purpose of one greater than ourselves, all for the sake of the gospel. You didn't get that money you thought you had coming. Not because they didn't treat you right at the job, which may or may not be true. But here's the reason. God wants you to be able to give an example of how to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Now, how does, how does me not getting money, Pastor, mean that I can suffer for the sake of the gospel? Well, well, here it is right here. See, because if I would have had the money, I might have done something I wanted to do. But since I don't have the money that I need, I'm telling people that I am living by the grace and mercy of God. And he is my Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. So I'm not worried about not having any money. may not have a dime, but I still have Jesus. And when I open my Bible, I see things like my father's rich in houses and land. And he holds the power of the world in his hand. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. The cattle on a thousand hill below. I wish I had somebody here. The cattle on a thousand below them. All the silver and all the gold. You go around worried about, I hope my check come. My check didn't go. Oh, you ever see somebody who check is a day late? We act funny. We can act up if that check is a day late. If you tell us you're going to pay us on a certain day and and you don't have it. See, that's why I don't loan any money that I can't afford to give away. (laughs) I don't. I don't even want to be tempted to have an attitude. I'm just saying, <laughs> y'all know how we get about money. I mean, you know, you better have my money in the name of Jesus. <laughs> so, so, we, so, so understand that your suffering takes on a different perspective. It's for the sake of the gospel. Now, this means also 
also because of the foreknowledge of the Father in choosing us, it means that the church, the body of Christ, is not a voluntary association of like-minded individuals whose origin is in the flesh. In other words, you didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be in the church. I want to be in the body of Christ. I don't have anything else to do. So I might as well become a member of the body of Christ. How many people had that thought? Uh Uh-uh, no you didn't. You weren't even thinking about it. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder and said, you know, they just said all sinners come to God. They mean you. That's, that's how you got in. You were chosen. And so, so what we have is, is not a voluntary association, but on the contrary, the church finds its beginning in the heart and counsel of the Father. The sovereignty of God chose us. How wonderful is that to know that the sovereignty of God chose us. We are chosen by his sovereignty. What a great God we serve. Somebody ought to give him praise right there. Now, now, now I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to get you out of here. The second thing that Peter says here in this Trinitarian discussion is that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, along with this election by God for his purpose comes a call to be set apart, to be like him. It is a call wrought by the power of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. A process by which we are formed daily into the image of Christ and the character of the Father. Now, what the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives means, that we're being shaped. Colossians says that we're shaped into the image of the Son, that God wants to shape us and form us into His image. And so we take on, literally, the character of the Father. Now, what's the beginning of God's character? It always starts with holiness. God, if He's nothing else, is holy. And because He's holy completely, He's everything else. I wish I had somebody here. I just made that up right then. Y'all write down. (laughs) Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to me. But but God's holiness is the innate thing about his character. If If we know God on any other level, we must know him as holy. And so when we speak to him, we bow before his holiness. When we consider him, when we hear his voice, we know it is because he is holy. And his holiness reminds me of my unholiness. I wish I had somebody here. When I think about the holiness of God, I am forced to consider the unholiness of Raymond. And how any holiness that I have is imputed by God, which means it's given to me by his presence in my life. See, too often... We misunderstand sanctification by defining it only as what we wear, what we say, what we watch on TV. But it's far more than those things. 
true sanctification is the understanding that the presence of God's Spirit in me is to produce those things which reflect the character of the Almighty God. God wants to produce in me those things that he is known for by nature. Watch this now. How do I know this? Paul describes these character traits in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He calls them the fruit of the spirit. Now, now fruit is the result of seed planting. The seed of the spirit gets planted in your life. And brings forth certain fruit. Now look at this list. And pay attention to what's not on there. Huh? This for you holy folks. I'm telling you right now. Look at what's not on there. He says. But the fruit of the spirit. That which the spirit produces is love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's what's on that list. He says against such things, there is no law. But look, look at what's not on the list. You don't see revenge on the list. You don't see the the ability to just go off one or two times on the list. You don't see the ability to get somebody told on the list. You don't see your title on the list. I wish I had somebody here. You don't see cute on the list. You don't see handsome on the list. You don't see well-dressed on the list. You don't see rich on the list. You don't see poor. When I get to yours, just say something. You don't see poor on the list. Pay attention what's not on the list. The fruit of the spirit does not come to produce great physical and material riches in your life. But spiritual riches and no law can stand up against that which is spiritual. These are the true fruits or the produce of the spirit and God's presence in our lives. He produces traits that reflect who he is. God is love. Jesus said, I'm giving you my joy. I'm giving you my peace. God, if he's nothing else, he's patient. Oh, I wish I had somebody. God is kindness. God is goodness. God is faithful. God is gentle. And thank God he's got some self-control. Now that whole thing you say, I could have been dead, takes on new meaning. Because God, if he didn't have any self-control, you'd have been zapped right there in your sin. Thank God. Look at somebody getting happy right now. Just thank God for self-control. Oh, Lord, I'm glad you had some self-control yesterday. I'm glad you had some self-control this morning. Self-control. God, so he, he, 
He does this. He produces these traits so that people can see his glory in us. You are an exile, but you're not just an exile. You're an elect exile so that people can see the glory of God in you. How dare we suffer as those who have no hope? You are going against the purpose for which you are created. When you, got a, when you have a hard time and difficulty in your life and the first thing you do is start moaning and crying about how unfair life is and all of this stuff is so rough, it's so tough. Let me help you understand something. God is saying, you don't understand. I didn't never tell you that you wasn't going to have a storm. But I did tell you, if you let me, I'll weatherproof you. If you let me. I'll make it so that you can withstand any storm in your life because other people are watching how you suffer. And they're looking and saying, if there's a God, why is your head down? If there's a God, why are you suffering and crying and moaning? He said, he said, David said this, I will look to the hill. See, when you look to the hills, it means you have to look up. He said, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, so the king of glory can come in. God has chosen you to suffer as an exile with your head lifted. So people can walk away from you and say, I don't know what's wrong with them. They ought to be crying and falling to pieces. Somebody loved and died. They lost their job. They don't have any money. But yet I see a smile on this on their face. And you can turn around and say, this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. Tell somebody right now next to you, I got joy. I got joy. And it's God's giving joy. I've got joy. Watch this now. Watch this now. Oh, Lord, I'm over time. I, I'm over time. Let me. I want y'all to get tired of me here. I just, the last thing that he does in this Trinitarian presentation of, of the gospel, he says, he says, we are forever changed by the work. Don't miss that. We are forever changed by the work of Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 2 there says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Why are you elect? You elect for obedience to Jesus Christ. Peter now turns our attention to our purpose and the means by which God established this purpose by intimating the role of the son in this election. As believers, our elected calling is so that we might be shining examples of obedience to him who gave his life for us. Make no mistake, our election, our, our calling is to a life of obedience to Jesus. As he obeyed the father, so must we obey him. When somebody, when somebody is questioning your commitment and questioning your actions, you tell them, I'd rather obey God than man. 
If it means I have to lose this job, I got a father that's going to meet my needs. If it means I have to go hungry today, I've got a father that I have groceries show up at the door. I wish I had somebody here. But I must obey Christ. Now watch this. In this obedience, Peter uses this metaphor and this ideal of election this metaphor that he borrows from Israel's history. And he says, the sprinkling of blood. He says, the sprinkling by blood from the history of Israel is to reveal that our walk of obedience is one that finds cleansing and consecration by the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. But the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other help I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We are. We are here. We are purposed. We are exiles. But we're not left alone. He has sprinkled every one of you believers with the blood of the son so that you can be consecrated so that so that you can not just be consecrated, but you can also be cleansed by his blood. That stubborn sin. That just seemed like it won't go away in your life. Put it under the blood. Submit yourself to the blood. Lord, cleanse me with the blood. The beautiful thing about his blood is that his blood is greater than any stain remover in the world. His blood is better than Tide. His blood is better than OxyClean. His blood is better than all. They thought they had all, but they didn't have all the blood. I wish I had somebody. Because the stain of sin permeated my life. But it was the blood that washed me. It's the blood that cleansed me. It's the blood that presents me to the Father. So, my brothers and sisters, I close with this. We are in exile. Make no mistake about that. Own it. Embrace it that we are truly in spiritual exile in this world. And you will live better because you'll live according to your purpose. Here's here's what happens to exiles too many times. We want to change where we are when God wants to change who we are. You telling God to give you a better house and you'll be better. God is saying, I'm trying to make a better you. Lord, I need a better car and I'll be better. God said, you don't need a better car. You need to be a better you. Somebody said, I need a better husband. I need a better wife. You don't need a better mate. You need to be a better you. Some of us just hard to live with. I just wish I had a witness here. <laughs> you know, you go around talking about what's wrong with your husband or wife. You look in the mirror. 
You better be glad they're still with you. <laughs> I know that's nobody in here. I'm just saying. But God wants to change who we are. He wants us to lean and depend on him. He wants us to be a church in exile. A church that understands that we are persecuted, but not distressed. We're cast down, but not destroyed. That we carry about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus every day. And that we know that by the shedding of his blood, no matter what our circumstances look like, that God is still in control. Don't get yourself all twisted up in what's happening in the world. ISIS doesn't have power over God. Al-Qaeda doesn't have power over God. The thief and the robber in your neighborhood does not have power over God. Go home and declare the glory of God in the place in which you live. I may be in exile, but I declare glory. I may be in exile, but I declare grace. I declare mercy in the name of Jesus. I declare the gospel in my community. Stand on your feet all over the room. We are in exile. And in exile, we need each other. We need God most of all. But the people sitting near you that are believers, you need them and they need you. And we need each other to walk through this exile as a great testimony of the grace and the mercy of God in this world.